one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. We're recording today's Irish Times Second Captain's podcast on Thursday afternoon, June 9th, 2016, which means we're one day from the start of the European Championships, Murph. Euro 2016 mi- match day minus one, and as some members of the Ireland squad would call it on. Who was that again? Uh, Roy Keane was oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. slagging an unnamed, but we know pretty much who he was talking about, a uh, member of the Ireland squad. And we're just three days from the long-awaited opening game for the boys in a slightly darker shade of green. Michael O'Neill's lads kick off on Sunday in Nice against Poland, and I'm throwing my support four square behind Northern Ireland for this one, Murph. I've never had to consider <laughs> how no. much I care about Northern Ireland winning or losing in a major championships because wasn't the last one the 1986 World Cup? 1986. I didn't. Uh, uh, Josie uh, on who can ever forget Josie Mar? Well, I was just old enough, I was six years of age, and I was just old enough to remember the little mascot. Little jalapeno guy with the sombrero. We've talked about him before. Mm. For, forgotten his name now. But yeah, so I've kind of been thinking a bit about Northern Ireland, and I'm quite excited about them, largely because of Michael O'Neill, who I just—he's one of my favourite figures in football at the moment. He's, anytime I hear him talk, he's just really impressive, down to earth kind of guy, but super smart as well. And some of you think he'll go on to pretty pretty big things. I know it sounds patronising now to Northern Ireland fans. He'll go on to big things after, you know, just this stepping stone of a national team job. But you know what I mean? A lot of uh, a lot of great, good managers have managed uh, national teams and not necessarily gone on. But he always sounds good. Uh, he always seems to know what he's talking about. The, some of the players are working, obviously there's some talent there, but, you know, the starting right back is likely to be Connor McLaughlin, a guy who plays for Fleetwood Town in League One. They finished 19th out of 24 teams in League One. So they were pretty five points away from being relegated to the bottom division in England, and he'll be coming up against Robert. Le- well, I'm assuming Lewandowski will float around that forward mm. line and come over to the left hand side of the field. Yeah, that's an extraordinary time. And it, and you know, if if we weren't there, I'm sure that we'd be talking a little bit more about Northern Ireland than we have done as yeah. a nation in the last six months. But yeah, I mean, I'd 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 be interested to see the volley of abuse that follows your. Uh, <laughs> what? Wanting well, Northern Ireland to do well? well is it going to cause me problems? Well, I, maybe it will. I don't know. I actually don't know. I didn't, I say, mean, I'm, I didn't say I'm supporting them at the expense of a, Republic uh, of Ireland. Yeah. This isn't a controversial statement, is it? Well, I think... Well, it's not to me at all. Um, I want to see but, England do well as well. Is that a, is it, have you got a problem with that? Or have your uh, unnamed listeners got a problem I, with I that? think a lot of people have a problem with, with you hoping... 
England do well, and maybe the same people are the people who would have a <laughs> there could be you. there could be a similar bit of crossover there. You think? Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I, I, it's like I don't think either I don't think either of us are going to make the final. You know, I, mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I haven't even decide, I haven't even figured out whether we're on the same side of the draws, Northern Ireland. Uh, you know, is there a possibility that we can meet before the final? On the 10th of July. I well, mean, one hopes not, sure Murph, because that will be the dream final for all of Europe, I'm sure. Ken, would you like to see Michael Neal's boys do the business? Win the European Championship? No, I just do well over there. Well, why not win? Well, I suppose so. Well, Roy Keane didn't seem convinced when he was asked, can we win? He said, look, how do you want me to answer that question? Of course we can win. <laughs> he comes after, after a slight pause. I, I, don't yeah. think, I don't think either, either Ireland is going to win. Ken. Even if there was a fully united Ireland, I think we might struggle. But to win, to win the whole thing, I mean. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you're thinking yourself into a box there. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking yourself off the podium. <laughs> As the slogan on the Republic of Ireland team bus says, um, I think it says, conceive it, believe it, achieve it. Does it? On yeah. The, on, yeah sorry, it on, on Martin O'Neill or Michael O'Neill's team bus? Our team was uh, the, the yeah. Republic of Ireland's team right, was. Okay. I forget what it says on the Northern Ireland. Um, uh, I'll see if I can find that. No, I'll, I'll find that out and I'll bring it to you. You have a, you have a look for that. Uh, well, that, that's a load of complete nonsense, Ken, isn't it? Uh, what, conceive, believe, achieve? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, is it? I've, I, I, mean, I think I, I, Owen, has, Owen has, um, has fallen at the first hurdle. How do you mean, what? Well, you can't even conceive of Ireland oh, yeah. winning. You can't even conceive of a United Ireland winning. Um, so, I mean, to be honest, uh, you, you've kind of you're not you're not even giving yourself a chance. There was a nice story that Michael O'Neill told to Graham Hunter in a, the big interview on Graham's podcast about Kyle Lafferty, who had been underachieving for Northern Ireland. Um, he's a funny player. Like players who played with him reckon he's should be incredible. He's got all these physical attributes and all the rest, but, you know, he's t- tended to like the party lifestyle and like to get sent off on more on more occasions than is really acceptable. So he was sent off in one of the early games for Northern Ireland with Michael O'Neill in charge. O'Neill drags him in, but I think the next day had all this information, which he laid out in front of him. He's like, look, this is your club and international career. These are the amount of games you've played. These are the amount of games you've missed through suspension, and these are the goals you've scored. Your goal-scoring record is actually very good uh, per game, your problem is you're not playing enough games because you're getting sent off and you know, you're know you not in the right shape because of that to be a big part of my future. And Sometimes you hear those stories, you, you know, it's like a light bulb has gone off in the head of the player and he's just walked out there going, oh, you're right, Michael, you're a legend, I'm going to double up. But actually it took a little while. It, it took a while to, for the penny to drop. I think Lafferty was still a little bit like, do I need this? Do I need this hassle? From my international manager, I don't have to play international football necessarily. But slowly he began to, the penny, as I said, began to drop. And he, you know, it's been a revelation for them. And he's, they need him to fire and uh, at least get a goal or two. He's kind of there, he's kind of the Shane Long, I guess, of the Northern Ireland team. But it was a nice uh, crystallised example, I guess, of Michael O'Neill's man management. You know, I, I, um, I stayed on in Palermo in an Airbnb place where the guy who owned the, the place uh, was friends with Kyle Lafferty. Oh, yeah. I was like, what? Well, and he said, oh, you know, Labrador, he played in Berlin, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, he did, of course. 
and, and then he produced his phone and he did all these photographs of himself hanging out with Kyle Lafferty and he was <laughs> and it was very much sort of his tone when talking about Lafferty it was very much <laughs> Kyle Lafferty <laughs> you know got the impression that like uh, he was kind of he left the impression um, with the Sicilians of being a really fun guy so um well, yeah, do you know what he was, was described as? Yeah, the Palermo owner, when he was booting Lafferty out, said he can't stay at this club because he's an out of control womanizer. And that, <laughs> well, I mean, that see, was the quote the, used at the time. The so things, it's like it's like Ancelotti says, you know, the the very things they like about you to begin with are the things they blame <laughs> about you when they decide to get rid of you. You know, um, I don't think the fans had a problem with that aspect of Kyle Lafferty. If in fact, if in fact uh, the the president, if there was any truth to what the president said and i wasn't there i don't know um but yeah i i did find out on what, what the northern ireland slogan was yes yes dare to dream that's so not, actually in mm-hmm. a way it's a precursor to Ireland because Ireland actually says dream it <laughs> believe it achieve it so if you united the two you'd have dare to dream and <laughs> then, then you'd dream. Have dream it yeah. believe it achieve it so you've, you've got like almost a four-stage plan uh, for uh, for winning the Euros. maybe it's not too late to unite the two. Is it? Is that without? Could we? No, twenty three teams in the Euros. <laughs> well, well, what about the what about England's one? One team, one dream. Maybe we could all unite under a under a common a common banner. I don't know. <laughs> that could work. Yeah, Who they're, knows? they're not great slogans. Nope. Um, I'm not telling you. You've got the. I'm, big... not, I'm not. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I can't lie to you. They're not great. Um, Ria, Ria, Hungaria. What about that one? <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. Keep going. Have you more slogans in front of you there? Oh, they're all here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Go you on. have them all. Yeah. Okay, go on, yeah. Uh, Switzerland's one is Hop Swiss, Hop Schwitz, Forza Zwitzera. So okay, let's yeah, three um, go yeah. Switzerland in three Swiss languages. What about the French? I'm interested to hear the French bus slogan. It's not a sentence I thought I'd say. Uh, the French slogan is Votre force, notre passion, which means... I think your force or your strength are passion. passion. Okay. Um, yeah, well, that's what, the they, that's what they say. Um, Austria's is immer wieder, immer wieder, immer wieder Österreich. Always. Sounds long-winded. Again, Austria. Um, Germany, Germany says, wir meistern das. We will master this. It's more <laughs> idiomatic in, in German. It's more like, we got this. We will this. master this. It does sound a little oof, God, a foreboding. Little tre- a little threatening, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, steady, oh, the steady Germans, on there, Germany. The Germans march on France again. O Samire mi Kiptar is the Albanian one, which apparently means, oh, what a joy it is to be Albanian. Ah, oh, that's nice. That's, that's nice. less threatening. Yeah. Um... So, I don't know. Do you want the Welsh one? Yeah, that's the last one. I think um, we'll have to move on at some point. What do you think the Welsh one would mention? Dreams. Oh, come on. Dreams. No. There's something Gareth a bit Bale. more specific to Wales. <laughs> Bale? No, you can't that, just mention one just, of your We players. have Gareth Bale. <laughs> yeah. Bus. That, well, no. that would be funny. We have Gareth Bale in, in, in brackets and smaller writing and Aaron Ramsey. Yeah. <laughs> the dragons shall rise. Ugh. So, that's, that's the Welsh dragon. First of our Euro, Extra Euro 2016 show starts tomorrow and we'll bring you a daily podcast Monday to Friday through the tournament. The players are going to face the usual challenge of shaking the club season out of their legs and trying to get to a physical peak for the next few weeks. But the tournament falls during the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, so some players are going to have to contend with that as well, with fasting during the daylight hours, no food, no water, no anything. And this proved a bit of a, I mean, that's obviously a serious challenge, you would have thought to sports people when you hear all the, the debates about how 
every 0.01% of performance, in, of, of improvement in sports science can ultimately help your performance. And it actually proved a touchy subject at the 2014 World Cup. The Algerian manager was asked about it the whole time and eventually said, listen, stop asking about this. It's up to the players. And, uh, you know, please, you're, you're kind of invading their privacy here by asking whether they are going to observe Ramadan um, in full. So we'll talk to the writer and sports activist Shireen Ahmed, who was writing that story where I got the Algerian information from in 2014, and will talk to us today. Murph, uh, GA-wise, two heavyweights get their championship started on Sunday. Yeah, Kerry, and uh, well, I mean, you know, there's there are six games on, and I feel honour bound to mention, including Cork and Roscommon, two Division One A teams at least started this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kerry and Donegal are one of three counties to have shared the uh, Sam Maguire in the last. Five years, five wins, yes, five years. Um, and there are, there are a lot of doubts. I mean, you know, you can say that they, that they have been All-Ireland winners in the recent past, but uh, for Kerry, uh, the stench of two hammerings, hammerings, God, that's, that seems very unfair, but two pretty conclusive defeats to Dublin in national finals in the last uh, nine months. The All-Ireland final last year, that was 10-7, but Dublin were in control of it for pretty much the whole game. And, of course, the league final this year when a retooled Kerry came back, apparently with a plan to try and stop Dublin, and it ended in a really comprehensive defeat for them. Um, So there's a lot of questions around Kerry, a lot of questions around Donegal as well, Um, particularly when you look at how the other three Ulster quarterfinals have been won the comprehensive nature of all three of those uh, wins for Cavan, Tyrone uh, and for Monaghan, they all look really good. We haven't seen Donegal yet, of course, so this is a chance for Donegal to make a statement of their game against Fermanagh on Sunday. Um, But yeah, loads of questions. I mean, Kerry, since that league final defeat, have brought in a whole raft of new players. So, you know, Tommy Walsh is the the guy, the most high profile of the absentees, but Kieran O'Leary and... uh, you know, guys that you've, you're used to seeing on the bench for Kerry and getting limited championship minutes, a lot of them are gone to be replaced by nine under-21s and two guys who won a, an All-Ireland junior title last year. So, I mean, it's a freshening up, you know... A, three cu- or f- a cull or a freshening up? Uh, which- like three or four changes you would call a freshening up. I think this is a little bit more seismic than that. Uh, now, how many of them we're actually going to see get extended minutes in the championship this year maybe is another question. But, I mean, if you've seen the last two All-Ireland minor finals, you'll know that Kerry have a lot of really, really good footballers. Right. But at the same time, if you're waiting until the end of the leaving cert to have a full panel to choose from, then maybe that suggests that uh, that the, the well of talent isn't quite so deep. Mike Quirk is ready to go. Carl Mannion has popped into the studio. Carl, how are you? Great one. Looking forward to a weekend where we're going to see two, well, I was going to say two serious All-Ireland contenders um, get involved in the championship. Neither of which are Ross Common, by the way, oh, Carl. <laughs> well, maybe three. <laughs> Don't hit me so hard so quick. <laughs> are Donegal still serious All-Ireland contenders? Uh, I think they're at a crossroads. They could certainly be All-Ireland contenders, uh, pending their performances in Ulster but uh, the trajectory as team the way they came uh, to national prominence and win the All-Ireland under McGuinness uh, and what's happened to them since McGuinness has left uh, it, that's the reason why there is a bit of debate about their chances Yeah, it kind of feels as though if we are talking about them as the third or fourth best team that's largely based on what they were doing a couple of years ago yeah. I mean, obviously they still have some of those players but those guys are older they, they've been waiting for this injection of youth the whole time and now they have got Paddy McBrady's brother and one or two others have come in So, the, but, 
But does all that add up to an Ireland, a possible Ireland win? Uh, I suppose they've only really found Oran McNeilis as a serious contributor to their team since mm. they won there at Ireland. Now, there have been some New Year players in this year, Michal Carroll and Kieran Gillespie. Uh, Ryan McHugh, obviously, is still a young, very young player and is playing very well. But they haven't found the collection of players that they would need to kind of reinvigorate themselves. And they haven't replaced, for example, uh, Colin McFadden's uh, high scores in every game. Now, he is obviously still in the panel, but he's not the, old, he's not the same Colin McFadden as he was under McGuinness. So for those reasons, yeah, I think there, it is kind of a crossroads for them. I'm not sure how it is going to pan out for them. Uh, it's still a question mark whether Gallagher can get the same out of them that McGuinness could out of them. Uh, and uh, let's face it, a lot of them now have pushed on. They've had a lot of miles in the clock. They've trained seriously hard for four or five years there uh, when McGuinness is in charge. And that has to take its, its toll as well. Mike, do you have your doubts about Donegal? Yeah, I, I think they're just, they've just kind of strayed from their identity a little bit at the moment. You know, And part of that is definitely that their age profile has gone up. But I, I really, and I said it at the time, I, I, I thought the training, the volume and the intensity of training they were doing under beginners, they were training like a like a Sigerson team at six o'clock in the morning and again that evening lifting weights. And they, were, they did that for about three years solid. And that's, you know, that takes an incredible toll on the body. And I, I, I still I, I still think half of them are, are still recovering from the kind of the workload that they put in when McGuinness was in charge, you know. And, you know, you look at Neil Gallagher now, who's going to miss the game again the next day. You know, he's he's not an old guy, but he, he looks like he's about 55 now at the moment, the way his, his body is going. And Michael Murphy's only just back after after problems as well. And I, I just think that really, really took a huge toll on those guys. And they're struggling at the moment now to, to actually find the best way around that. And, you know, Carl's talking about, you know, a lack of, of youth coming in there. It's really this same kind of group that's been there since McGuinness took it over and I, I just think though, the legs are looking tired and they, they definitely don't look the same kind of threat that they did five or six years ago. Well McGuinness always bristled at that Mike, that idea that he was tra- flogging these guys in some way and working them any harder than they needed to be worked he reckoned that they were just doing the amount that they needed to do to be All-Ireland champions. Yeah well I mean he, and that they became all Ireland champions, but I, I think it came with a, I think I think it came with a price. I think I think mentally and physically, the, the, the volume of training that they did at that time, and and don't don't be fooled, they were they were training more than anybody else because they probably had to make up for maybe a, a deficit in in terms of the talent that they had in their squad, and and they they made up for that by 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 serious hard work and, and an incredible level of fitness that they hadn't achieved before, and I, I I genuinely do think that that's after taking a toll on them, kind of you know still running into this period. They just they just they don't look to have that, they haven't that same energy and that kind of, you know, that burst that they had back then when they were counter-attacking with the kind of flair and the, and the energy they had. And I, I really do, I think that's that's taken a toll on them and, and it still hasn't come back. Yeah, like the way they changed, the way they played when McGuinness came in, they went to a complete, complete running game where everyone was moving so much and was attacking so much non-stop from so deep in defence that they had to tra- uh, change the way they were training. There was no way that they were doing the training uh, under John Joe Doherty or b- before that uh, and surviving in modern-day football playing the way they were playing without doing the savage training they were doing. And I think a personification of all of that kind of whole question about how their bodies have uh, have not reacted well is Carol Lacey. Carol Lacey has consistently yeah. been injured yeah. since they won the All-Ireland and his, 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 his travails in injuries have been a personification of that whole Donegal team. Yeah, I mean, you look back to the 2012 Ulster final against Down, wasn't it? Yeah. And, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever seen a team play with more energy looking like a team. Like, you know, they, 
in horse racing parlance, like running on the top of the ground, like just everyone just flying it, like absolutely brilliant. I walk, out, I walked out of there saying those guys are going to win the All Ireland, and it's not even going to be close. Like they, they were just absolutely brilliant. I haven't seen anything like that kind of energy from Donegal. You know, the Dublin semi-final aside, but even if that was a different kind of performance, that 2014 semi-final win against Dublin. did, And Lacey is such a huge part of that as well that he just he hasn't looked fit for three years, nearly four years now. Yeah. And they don't have the the breaking at pace, the McGlynn, McGrath, uh, Thompson, these guys, like breaking tackles, going past people. We haven't seen that. And I mean, I think that this weekend... They're playing for mana. I mean, I don't know how much we're going to learn about it, but would learn about whether they're actually back at that level or not. But you'd have to say that they're closer to Cavan, Monaghan and Tyrone than they are to Dublin, Kerry and Mayo as of right now. Yeah, they are. And what's happened as well is teams have got used to the way they played. So before when teams pushed up in them, they weren't used to Donegal's system. They were pushed up. So then Donegal, when they broke, they were getting beyond the defence. And that's why everyone streamed forward. Uh, Mike may be able to talk about this more, but like, look at the way Kerry played against uh, Donegal in 2014 in final. They sat back. So that same energy wasn't didn't need it in Donegal at that stage because they weren't running beyond people. They were running into people higher up the pitch. So, yeah, I agree with you that they haven't had the same energy levels. Uh, whether Rory Gallagher has been able to change their game plan in some way that can get that energy level and filter it in, in a different way. I haven't seen that yet and that's why it's going to be interesting to see what they're doing over the summer. Well, let's talk a little bit about Kerry. Mike, it's been all changed since the league. There's 921 players calling the panel, a couple of lads who won Junior All-Irelands last year. Is this another stroke of genius by Eamon Fitzmaurice or complete panic after the league final defeat by Dublin? Uh, it's it's you know. I want an answer right now. Over. We're not going to wait until the All Ireland <laughs> final. Tell me which yeah, it was. It's, it's overdue. You know, it's overdue. I think, you know, we, we're talking about you know maybe Donegal stagnated with the same kind of a bunch, and, and maybe Kerry was going down the same way. And you know, he's after giving a serious infusion of 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 youthful kind of dynamism. Now the guys that are after coming in are all. You know they're all athletic. They're they're all ball players. They're all you know cocky guys. They're after winning minor, you know all Irelands. Some of them double minor all Irelands. Um, and I think he's just after really kind of shaking it up. And all those high numbers now from 20 to 26. Now everybody's looking over their shoulder because nobody knows who's going to be in the matchday squad. And you know you the likes of you know Tommy Welch pulled the plug and guys Kieran O'Leary who who kicked an equalising score in a semi final against Mayo that we would never have won that all Ireland 2014 without him. You know he's gone and there's a lot of those guys who can in 2014 who are now gone and 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 that's just kind of you know I, I think down here people are pretty happy with it because we know the quality of those younger guys that are coming up and we know what they're going to do inside you know and they're looking at the likes of Mahoney and Mark Shea and you're only going to pick up stuff from those guys the longer you can spend a bit of time with them so I, I think look you know looking at, at Claire um, you know, I think we're we're really happy to see that these young guys are going in there, are going to get that bit of experience, and are going to have a. Some of these guys are going to be on the championship, you know, panel the next day. Some of them, you know, there's talk of a Tyke Morley possibly coming straight into the team as a as a defender, a guy you've never probably heard of in your life, and um, so that's exciting for us. I think. I mean, we you know we're we're happy enough, we're hopeful that you know we're, we're going to get over Claire, and so it's really kind of anticipating how many of these young guys are going to get on the team and how they're going to do, and and that's 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 always exciting come championship time as well. Would you say that if you sat down to pick the 26 best footballers in Kerry that you'd come up with exactly the 26 that is going to be named against Kerry? The question I'm asking you effectively is 
is is there an element of change for the sake of change, change uh, 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 changing personnel to try and change the atmosphere in the squad as opposed to saying right right now these guys are better players than the Kieran O'Leary's and Jack Sherwood's and people like that that they're replacing I, sp- I suppose like Murphy I mean he's he's you got beat by Dublin in the National League final comfortably you know when people were saying okay Kerry you're after closing the gap here you know we're you know re- re- the older guys have been rejuvenated and they look fresher and blah blah and you get to Dublin and Dublin give you a spanking and you and you're knocked back on your on your heels and you're kind of going okay what are, what are we looking at here so so now what he's looked at now whether whether it's panic or whether as you say is it's going to be inspiration we'll know in September but he's after getting these guys who have who are just, you know, absolute, you know, they've gone to Croke Park, they've gone everywhere and they've won every game they've played in the Kerry jersey. These these minors and these guys are 20 years of age now. And now they're, they're inside in the panel and they've no... They don't really have any hang-ups with, with you know who they're sitting next in the dressing room, who they're marking and training. You know, a young guy Brian Obiogli. I don't know if you've seen him, a lot of him. Yeah. You know, he's 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 been you know killing guys inside and training at half back, and 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 now you've those guys who are there maybe two or three years, maybe who haven't played a whole pile. Now we're looking at this guy saying, if I don't if I don't step up what I'm doing, I'm not going to be under 26, let alone on the field. So. So from that point of view, I, I just think that it's 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 a very positive thing. If these guys are capable, like the, the likes of Killian Spillane has gone in there and, you know, with all the big reputation and hasn't hasn't yet done well inside in the training session, so may not feature the next day. But at least all these guys, because in the next 10 years, these are your, this is your team, you know. So the longer these guys can spend with the likes of Donaghy and Mark and Mahoney, you know, and all those established guys, Donica Welch, they're they're going to learn and they're going to pick up their own little tricks and 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 bring that energy to the team that, that we're talking about that Donegal are lacking. That's going to be that's going to be there with these young guys coming into the panel. Yeah, I think we shouldn't be surprised if we see some changes uh, in Kerry now for the rest of the summer, whether it be in the lineup uh, or whether it does tweak the way they get, play the game. Like they've played Dublin now in the Ireland final last year and the league final recently and weren't at Dublin's level at all. Fitzmaurice changed the approach for the Donegal 2014 Ireland final so he has the wherewithal to see this uh, that a change may need to be made and make some hard decisions like he dropped Mark O'Shea before in that uh, Mayo uh, semi-final uh, mm. uh, that year as well so I wouldn't be surprised to see some changes from him yet going forward he has that he has that ability to do it Clare have been on a bit of a, an upswing Mike not that we're expecting a shock or anything like it unless you are expecting a shock <laughs> Not quite, no, not quite. Uh, I mean, like Claire, Claire had a you know against Kildare in that National League final, massive comeback win. You know, Kildare under Keane O'Neill were 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 supposed to be just kind of you know going up there to collect the trophy, and and, and Claire put in a huge second half performance, and that was a big win for him. It was a big confidence boost. But I I I, I said this recently for the likes of Claire. That's their that's their you know that's their championship nearly at this stage you know getting getting promotion getting to those finals getting playing in Croke Park in that game like that's that was clear I I would imagine that was probably their their goal at the start of the year you know to get promotion and to get to that final you know they did a, they did a big win not a big win I suppose they beat Limerick you know comfortably enough uh, in the last game it was the six points you know they have a serious midfield Gary Brennan Carlo Connor like the big thing with these games from a Kerry's point of view is there you know there's going to be three or four guys playing with Clare the next day. Who are going to give somebody in Kerry in a Kerry jersey a roasting? You know, there's going to be there's going to be probably ten or eleven guys in Kerry are going to win their their you know their position their battle, but there's going to be four or five guys from Clare that are going to you know Gary Brennan is going to give somebody a toasting like whether it's Danny or David Moore or Brian Sheehan, Gary Brennan is going to win that battle and he's probably going to win it pretty comfortably. You don't want to be marking Gary Brennan the next year from a Kerry <laughs> point of view. You know, it's just it, it it's it's really they just want to get their first game out of the way. You want to make sure you're not marking one of the Clare guys who's going to give you a roasting. Beat your guy. 
get over the line. It, 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 it's going to be a funny game, but it's going to be one from us, from our point of view, where we just want to see these young guys and how they do if they, if they do get some action. Carl, a word on Roscommon and apologies for Kieran's slur earlier Well, on. you're the one ruling the battle of Ireland contention, and it's not, well, I suppose they've already played two games. I mean, it's, it is ridiculous. Roscommon are playing their third game. Goalie have yet to play yeah, in it's the weird. And they had that wobble in New York. It's bizarre. Got, all, anyway. got back on track against Leeds. But Sligo is where they came and stuck last year, the team they came and stuck against, which is a, a real bubble bursting yeah. exercise what, what, how did this, how and, and that defeat also ended up in like the management leaving in the end yeah, John huge. Evans that was kind of the start of the, the end for him uh, a lot of the players on the panel would have been very close with Evans and still are so they certainly would uh, have a lot of motivation to kind of avenge that defeat it also just ruined Roscommon's year last year so there is a lot of motivation on the Roscommon's line yeah to go out and really uh, sow it into Sligo uh, now at the weekend uh, from the point of view of this year how things have panned out it definitely is a game that they need to play well in to kind of rebuild back up to where they were at the early stages of the National League uh, they weren't good against New York they were a bit better than last against Leitrim but they still haven't got back to that level again so it's another game where they have to really put in a good performance and show some of the characteristics and the good play that they showed early on in the league. So it's definitely a big opportunity. It's at home, and I have, they have that extra motivation because it's Sligo, so I would expect a big performance. Sounds like you expect them to win. Yeah, I would, yeah. All right, Carl, great stuff. Mike, thank you. Give a damn about the money, being shot, take the title, take it all, and go to jail tomorrow. This chump has got everybody scared. Scared of what? You told him I don't have nothing but a prayer. Well, chump, all I need is a prayer, because if that prayer reached the right man, not only will George Fulman fall, the mountains will fall. Oh, my God, he's won the title back at 32. This fresh young boxer is something to see, and the heavyweight championship is his destiny. You saw him on television, there was no one more beautiful. You saw him walking down the street, he was a beautiful thing to see. He moved around the ring, he had style and class, he was tall and good looking. Everything you'd want from a boxer, wrestler, football player. And to be honest with you, he belonged to the arts because he had poem, poetry, he had it all. Specimen, fighting machine. You know, it was handsome, it was articulate, it was funny, charismatic, and was whooping ass too. We'll go back to Donegal there, Murph, because I am interested in this theme that the players had to work their bodies so hard during the McGuinness years that they're now feeling the effects of that. Fair enough, but say Carl Lacey to take an example I mean who's to say he just wouldn't have gotten those injuries anyway yeah. players get injured all the time it just it just seems a, a bit of a leap to me maybe to ascribe all of that and you know to, to essentially to being overworked during the yeah. business years I think I think that the, and the, the point that the lads are making is like it's the cumulative effect of that amount of training which probably takes into account the mental side of things as well Jimmy Guinness didn't ask these guys to, right, this is how we're going to play and this is how you're going to continue to train for the rest of your intercounty career. This was uh, a mission for two years or three years. And there's a mental side to that as well. There is the, the amount of effort that you put in, the amount of things that you put on hold in the rest of your life. Mm. Necessarily, you're not signing up to do that for 10 years or 12 mm. years. You're doing it for 
two or three years. And if you're a Donegal footballer, you've no right to think, even at the end of all that, that you'll have an All-Ireland medal at the end of it. They actually have their All-Ireland medal. So I think that it is fair enough to ask that the sacrifices can be made can be made for two years or three years or maybe four years. But if you've gotten to the top and won the All-Ireland final, then maybe you start asking questions that you would never have dreamt of even asking in the first two or three years of the project. Yeah. And I think that, that there's... There might be an element of that, that it's mental fatigue that leads to physical breakdowns that, you know, you can just say, right, well, I, I, I'm not prepared to put my body through this because I did it for a couple of years and it's hell. And, you know, I'm trying to hold on to a job here. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that there is a, there is an element of that. Yeah, I guess well. even when it's the same manager, there there is always you always hear, hear particularly in GA that there's a always this meeting at the start of the next year are we prepared to give it all again no judgement if you don't want to do it but yeah. you're just obviously right of the squad <laughs> and not just that don't ever call us ever again. yeah that's the, but the, that, that is this sort of sense it's, a, it's almost an annual decision that players have to make in GA whether or not they want to go through you've won me over Murph uh, there is there is well, a, there is, there is a toll to, to be taken by winning all Ireland's. but do, we're going to find out now what's in today's Irish Times second comes football podcast that's yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm, walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them. What are you doing down here, you surely man? So um, we're going to talk to Philippe Beauclair. It's France from Paris to host this European Championships, and uh, we also speak to Oliver Sheena Okaleji uh, on the sad occasion of the sudden death of Stephen Keshi, aged 54. Yeah, Oliver Sheena was absolutely amazing. You'll probably remember that we spoke to him before about his famous interviews with Keshi during the World Cup that we use as part of our clip. Even Keshi's, if you remember Kesh- Keshi's, the way he answers those questions, those very challenging questions from Oliver Sheena, there's a bit of... There's a bit of devilment to Keshi as well. He's managing to kind of keep his composure. But Aloshina tells us that even after those, after the interviews are finished, Keshi would sort of look at him and just be like, yeah, look, you know, you've, you've, you've had your go there, uh, Aloshina, but you no know, hard feelings kind of thing. And Aloshina stayed close to him in, um, towards the end of his, uh, his all-too-short life. So have a listen to that in the football podcast. Now, for the Muslim players competing in France 2016, there's an additional challenge on top of all the usual pressures involved in playing a major tournament. It falls during the holy month of Ramadan, which began earlier this week and requires, uh, requires them to fast from sunrise to sunset if they choose to do so. Shireen Ahmed is a sports activist who writes a blog called Tales from a Hijabi Footballer. Shireen, you're very welcome to the show, firstly. Hi, Owen. Thanks for having me. No, thanks so many for coming on and, and chatting. Uh, can you maybe just explain, first of all, exactly what is required of people during Ramadan? Sure. So um, the month of Ramadan actually follows the lunar calendar. So based upon the sighting of the new moon, um, and this is a month that will go back every 10 days every year, like last year, it started mid-June. This year, it began in the beginning of June. Um, we don't eat or drink between sunrise and sunset. And we have very specific calculations of those times before you actually had to see the moon or see the sunrise go up and down. But now we've got like calculations and a calendar for the entire month. So my children will say, because they're fasting, oh, the fast breaks at 8.56 today. Yeah. Because they know. 
And in the morning, for example, we live in Toronto, so the fasts are about 19 hours. So we get up and eat breakfast with the family or with whoever's fasting at about 3 in the morning, and we stop eating just before 4 these days. And then we break fast at about 9. Right, so for top-level sports people... In France, I mean, I presume you're talking about something like 16 hours there of, of fasting. Uh, if, it's, if it's somewhat similar to Ireland at the moment at this, at this time of year, there are challenges posed there, I guess, in terms of, of the hunger, uh, possibilities of being somewhat dehydrated to, you know, for, for the level required to compete at, at the Euros. I think it's important to keep in mind that, well, you're right, um, that anywhere from 16 to 20 hours in Europe from what I understand, is is how long the days are. And if you're training, it can be really arduous. I mean, for a match, you can absolutely pump yourself of adrenaline through a match and be fine. But the training required is exhausting. You're, you could get dehydrated depending on how hot it is. There's the mental acuity, which is not as sharp. For example, I rely heavily on caffeine, and I don't have that. You can have caffeine headaches, withdrawal of that if the players have any at all. So there's also um, to look at, like, you're not as sharp. You're maybe one step behind. Um, That being said, the players are used to fasting, those who who decide to fast. So it's almost like it's something that they're used to, that their bodies become accustomed to and have been accustomed to. So although it sounds very physically grueling, it's something that Muslim footballers actually know how to deal with. You say there if they choose to fast, and it, it, it's quite interesting that apparently the French players, for example, said they won't be fasting, but some players, it seems unclear whether they will or they won't. Now, it's, their own, it's one of these things, it's their own business, I guess, whether they want to or not. But is it one of those subjects that can be a tricky one to broach with players and management, whether they should or shouldn't be fasting or whether they are or aren't fasting? Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you remember in the World Cup uh, in in 2014, um, Algeria's head coach got really irritated when the journalists kept asking about their players fasting. And he said, can we, you know, keep our, our, our questions focused to football as opposed to this? Because they wanted to create a little bit of a story about it. I, I wrote about the Huffington Post at my annoyance with media yourselves excluded, obviously, about the sort of hoopla that they had created around this. And choice, getting back to the fasting, is a very important word here, because we can't go on the assumptions that all Muslims fast, because honestly, they don't. Mm. And secondly, within the scope of Islam, I'm not a, a scholar at all, but I do, and but I'm a practicing Muslim, and I'm a footballer. And so... I do know that if you're traveling, it's not required of you to fast, even if you're traveling for work or for for football. And so you're, you're not required because of the archers of traveling. So, But for the French players, they're staying in their own home country, but they've decided not to. And you're right, the Fédération de Football Française did release a, a, a statement that they wouldn't, none of them, Pogba wouldn't be fasting, you know, uh, so that, for sure. And I don't know, I, I think I read something yesterday that Ozil in, in Germany is not fasting. You, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I read a piece that you wrote around this subject in the world, during the World Cup, 
And you made the point the chairman of Brazil's Council of Sheikhs said that along with food and drink restrictions, the person has to watch their moral behaviour. He can't swear, he can't speak badly about anyone, and he can't even think badly about anyone, which strikes me as, um, well, th- those are particular challenges in the, in the white heat of a big, a big football game. Well, absolutely. I mean, as any individual, like I'm, I'm a parent and I get rather cranky um, <laughs> in the evening, let's just say. Um, I did play a match a Tuesday night just a couple of days ago while I was fasting. And to be very honest with you, my match began at seven and the fast broke at nine. And, I'm, and I made it through because my body's I'm, I'm definitely not a professional player, but I play with a team that's you know competitive and I needed that outlet. I, I was able to do it. I, you know, I didn't finish on a perfect cross, and I'm still, you know, kicking myself about that. <laughs> but um, I was able to do it, and I, I, at the end of the match, I was able to eat because we finished just before sunset. And um, but watching moral behavior, yes, is, is very difficult because if you miss that shot, you, the automatic thing comes out of your mouth is you know an expletive <laughs> because you're frustrated and. <sighs> you're supposed to be a little more patient and a little more kind. And that the tussles on the football pitch, that doesn't always lead to kind behaviour. No, that's true enough. It seems that some athletes, Shireen, have had a slightly different experience. And maybe some Muslim people in general have this experience during fasting. Hakeem Olajuwon, one of the biggest NBA players in the 80s and 90s, says that he actually felt full of spirituality. He felt mentally very good particularly the further into Ramadan he got and that his body actually felt good as well. It felt light and energetic. And he went so far as to say that when he was getting towards the end of Ramadan, he was thinking, no, I'm going to continue this fasting. I'm going to con- this is actually the way I need to be as a sports person. But then, you know, as tends to happen, he, he would just fall into, into usual habits. Is that a, a common experience that some people actually can feel more alert and, and more powerful uh, while fasting? Absolutely. Um, Ramadan is a month that is incredibly important Islamically in our history. It's the month in which the Holy Book was revealed. And I think that it it, it charges your batteries. Now, there's so many. It charges your batteries spiritually, physically. Like, you know, the the modern fad cleanses and doing this. A fast is a a cleanse, essentially. It's a a cleanse of, of, of your digestive tract. It's a cleanse of your sort of mental tract, of your spiritual tract. And what ends up happening, you can get really caught up in that. And it's a beautiful month. And people are really sad to see it go because you're, you're, you're driven by a different forest. And it's, it's a very interesting, it's a very awesome experience, quite frankly. And because the month moves back every 10 days, it is very common for people to, and, and this is a long, these are the longest fasts, the ones for this month, because they fall in the longest days of the year in North America. Well, for us and for Europe. So it, people get, they have to continue their normal lives. You have people working, you have doctors performing surgeries, you have, you know, uh, firefighters, and, and you have Muslims doing every possible job imaginable while they're fasting. And it doesn't, affect negatively for them for most people i do know some physicians that don't fast if they're on double shift for example Mm. um but as far as other people go and and athletes particularly um because of the 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 travel um exception 
a couple of athletes I know don't fast while they're traveling because of that, because if it's extensive travel, then to do it while fasting is very, very difficult. Okay, just in the sense of the physical toll it would, would, t- would take, why is it that when they're traveling, they just feel they can't do it? Also, when you're on a long flight, I mean, you're parched anyway, and you drink as much water as you can. So to be fasting, to add on, and and fasting in itself is supposed to be difficult. It's not supposed to be easy. You're supposed to feel the pain of hunger. You're supposed to understand what it's like for those less fortunate to be, to not, and in the world today, in many Muslim communities, People don't even get to break their fast. They stay hungry because of poverty and lack of resources. So, um, with it's, but fasting is supposed to be difficult, but it's not supposed to break you. It's not meant to break you physically. And there are exceptions. There's people, like I said, who are traveling, people who might have diabetes, uh, the elderly, pregnant, and breastfeeding women and children. They don't fast. They don't have to. Yeah. Shreen, it's a fascinating topic. And uh, just on the football, uh, you said you're, you're based in Toronto. Is there much of an interest in the Euros in, in North America? Oh, yeah. yeah. I definitely watch it. Really excited. Ireland. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of women's football. and Steph Roche, by the way. Oh, great. So, um, <laughs> I'm really ex- I'm excited for the new teams. I'm excited to see Northern Ireland. I'm excited to see Iceland in there to shake it up a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to assume that Germany is going to win like everybody else has been. I think it'll be really, really interesting to see what happens. Absolutely. Now, yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we all are. I think we're so close to it. Now, listen, Shearing Ahmed, it's been great. And uh, enjoy the football. Enjoy the Euros. Thanks a million. Thank you so much for having me, Owen. Amir Khan made a point about this with regards to the effects of the fasting. And it wasn't so much the not eating when you're not supposed to eat. It's, it's actually when you are able to eat. Like he says you have to wake up at 4 a.m. to eat, but you're knackered and don't feel like food. So there's that additional uh, additional sort of layer to it as well. Uh, it also depends on where in the world you are. I think we were talking there about about the uh, situation in France. Obviously, it's whatever, 16, 17, 18 hours where you're going to have to be fasting. A, it's a, a, there's a lot more time in places like Finland, Ken, uh, where you're basically... You've got about an hour to uh, an hour where you're not fasting during Ramadan. Yeah, I mean, the further north or south you go, the further away from the equator you are, the longer the day is in summer. Uh, I mean, I suppose the flip side is that the shorter the day is in winter. Um, Whereas, you know, if you're at the equator, it's more or less 12 hours, isn't it? Um, Every day. Mecca is, is. north, uh, tw- 20 or so degrees north, but somewhere like um, Toronto is uh, is another 20 or 25 degrees further north again. So I think, say, for instance, just today, the day will be slightly more than two hours longer in Toronto than in Mecca. So that's in terms of between the time between uh, sunrise and sunset. So you're being asked to do more. Um, uh, maybe uh, maybe it, it being shorter in the winter compensates, but I guess it's just to do with the fact that when these rules were devised, um, these sorts of things weren't really taken into account. What will happen uh, to our Muslim brothers in the Arctic Circle was not something that crossed the minds um, crossed the minds of whoever had written down this law. Murph, the other big sport in Newsweek is Maria Sharapova's two-year ban. Uh, not that she's getting... Well, she's not losing all her friends in the way that Lance Armstrong and others did. Uh, no, not not at all, actually. Uh, Evian, uh, Head and Nike are all standing by their woman 
have said as far as as far as they're concerned that uh, uh, she's still a valued member of their corporate family. Uh, I'd like to read you a little bit of the uh, of the uh, the the final report on on uh, the 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 appeal process, and she's going to take it to the court of the, the court of arbitration for support as well. Right. Uh, the manner in which the medication was taken, its concealment from the anti doping authorities, her failure to disclose it even to her own team, and the lack of any medical justification must inevitably lead to the conclusion that she took uh, mildrenate for the purpose of enhancing her performance. The last word of it is. She is the sole author of her own misfortune. I don't think anyone can disagree with that. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it is, it's, a, it's a very, very strange thing that uh, at the end of all this, the corporate world still decide that Maria Sharapova, even suspended from tennis, is a worthwhile spokesperson for their product. Uh, now, there have been a, a, a Porsche have decided to suspend their arrangement with her. But, I mean, it does lead you to think that, I mean... Oh, this, this is what Nike said. The ITF tribunal has found that Maria did not intentionally break its rules. Maria has always made her position clear, has apologised for her mistake, and is now appealing the length of the ban. Based on the decision of the ITF and their factual findings, we hope to see Maria back on court and will continue to par- partner with her. Which is just an extraordinary thing. I mean, but it does lead you to ask, what are they sponsoring here? Are they sponsoring Maria Sharapova, the athlete? Or are they sponsoring Maria Sharapova, the woman? Yeah. And it appears to me to be... Well, whether she's winning a tennis, losing a tennis, or playing tennis... Or cheating a tennis. Or cheating a tennis. It doesn't really seem to matter to Nike a whole lot. Yeah. Um, it's funny when the... Any time somebody comes under, when the shit hits the fan, so to say, with sports people, there's such a focus on ooh, when the sponsors start moving aside. Mm. It's the same with people when the sponsors start... Going, as though the sponsors are the moral <laughs> bastions. Arbiters, yeah, yeah. Moral arbiters in sport. No, no, I think really what we need to do is hand over... Moral control of the world to, Nike. to huge faceless corporations. They're they're the ones who are going to have their heads screwed yeah. up. It's a funny one. All right, Ken, you've got the big the big game of the weekend. One of the big ones anyway in Marseille on Saturday. England against Russia. Quick word. We'll talk loads tomorrow and um, more about the Euros. But quick word on this is the biggest game of the group stages, nearly is it? What is this the biggest game of the group stages, Ken? Why would you say that? Well, well, it's an interesting question, on uh, Ken. Uh, two G seven G eight nations meeting. Um, do you mean to say that this would be the most serious war of the group stages if, <laughs> if each match was replaced by a war? That's that's basically what I'm saying, yes. Yeah, I suppose it would be up there. Um, Could have been a massive game in previous years, but Russia don't seem to be up to a whole lot. Uh, well, no, and they're, and they're missing uh, important players. Yeah, Jagolev, Denisov, these are big players for Russia. Uh which is un- which is unfortunate. I really uh, have never heard you uh, have as much disgust in your voice as well. I suggested this might be the biggest game. What are there? What are the other big games of the group stages? Ireland against Sweden. <laughs> I'm thinking from a neutral's perspective, Ken. For God's sake. Um, well, Germany, Germany, Ukraine, and Germany, Poland. Germany, everybody yeah, Germany, will be good. Germany, exactly. Germany, you know, Ireland, the, the, the French games. I mean, I don't know why you'd put why you'd put England and Russia on a pedestal. I mean. It's but, not as though either are necessarily among the elite, you know, sides of the tournament. Both of them have won either a Euros or a World Cup. Well, no, Russia has won a World Cup. Well, technically, technically not, actually. The Soviet Union won the, well, not the World Cup, rather, the Euros, the Euros in 1960. Yeah. Um, England has never won. England's the only World Cup winner never to win the Euros. Mm. 
Apology which, accepted, Ken. Oh, I obviously just misheard what you said. Um, <laughs> uh, so, no, I, I mean, yeah, it should, it should be a good game. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of England team turns up. I mean, England had an amazing uh, run into this tournament. You know, they beat Germany. They beat France. Uh, I mean, that's impressive. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's more or less the only bad result France have had over the last uh, little while. I mean, France have been doing really well in their friendlies. Um, and yet they're... Friendies just immediately before the tournament were kind of very underwhelming, and there's this sort of tactical system with Rooney kind of crowbarred in that obviously isn't going to work, and you're just wondering if he's really going to go ahead and do that. I mean, Rooney's going to play. I just, I just wonder uh, who else is going to be in there with him. I don't think it's going to work if he's playing behind two, uh, behind two strikers, Vardy and Kane. I, I, I can't see how that's going to work. I mean, I suppose it, things could always work by random chance, but I wouldn't expect that to be successful. Tomo- yeah. So, okay, well, yeah. tomorrow we'll find out more thoughts then because it's Friday. It's day one of the tournament equals day one of well, I can't, I can't daily Euro shows. I can't believe, I can't believe that, that you, um, you were talking about uh, the all-time Euro team. Yeah. Oh, this is... Well, yeah, no, I was going to suggest that we talk about, on this podcast about UEFA's official all-time Euros... 11 but then we, I don't know we seem to have talked about a lot of stuff I was going to save some for tomorrow you want to talk you want to get into it oh we could always do it tomorrow I don't, I don't mind ah we'll do it unfair? now we'll do it now we can't, te- we can't tease people like that I mean it's such a hot topic well why don't yeah. we read out the team and then the emails will no doubt flood Oof, in from our yeah listeners. and then we can react tomorrow so email yeah. uh, com to react to this incendiary team as picked by people who log on to UEFA.com 3.1 million people or something. Or 3.5. Gianluigi Buffon in goal. So this is an all-time Euros team, yeah. by the way. Yeah, so teams who've played in, the players who've played in the Euros. Maldini and Lamb are the fullbacks. Centre-half partnership is the, uh, yeah, Puyol and Beckenbauer. Then in midfield, you've got Pirlo sitting there with Zidane and Yesta roaming further forward. And up front, three-man forward line of Henri Van Basten. And Cristiano, which I think is a sad, um, sad uh, uh, sort of testament or indictment of the um, of the quality of football knowledge of the people who use UEFA.com, the millions of people who use it. If this is the that's a good team. If this is the sum of their wisdom, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, if we're talking about the European Championships here, this this thing just looks like the FIFA Pro Eleven. You know what I mean? Why is Ronaldo in this team? Six you know, goals Ronaldo, at the Euros. Never won this competition. This is this is a joke. I've picked an alternative team. Owen. Okay. My starting criteria was that you actually had to have won the European Championships to get in the t- team. Uh, so we're waving goodbye to a few of those guys. Although not all. To be fair, most of them have much to win. We wave goodbye to uh, Buffon, okay. Pirlo, and Ronaldo. Uh, we also booed out Iniesta, Thierry Henry. Uh, Beckenbauer and Puyol and Lamb and Maldini. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Loads of them won it. Yeah, I know, but I'm booting them out anyway okay. because I don't think they're as good as certain other players who won it. So you've got Zidane and Van Basten left. Is that what you're saying? No, I got rid of Zidane as well. Oh, right, okay. Thank God Van Basten volleyed that ball in or else he'd be God. getting the cut. Yeah, okay. getting I've the still got Van Basten. Yeah. So what's your team? Well, I've gone for Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, good start. Um, I've gone for Lillian Turam. Frank Reichard, Marcel Desai, and Bichente Lizarazu. So I've got three French defenders from the early 2000 team. Um, 
which I don't think is too many French defenders. I think that's uh, pretty good. And I've got Frank Reichardt in there, in there with them too. Then I've got Ruud Hullet, Xavi, Gunther Netzer, and Brian Laudrup. Uh, and up front, it's obviously Marco van Basten. And just behind him, the most bewildering omission of all from the Euro, uh, you know, Euro UEFA users 11, Michel Platini, who is still the top scorer in the history of the finals. Nine goals in five games. Ah, yeah, Platini should be in there. It's true. Absolutely. <laughs> Maybe like, people are coloured somewhat by his more recent political difficulties. Maybe UEFA's website where it wasn't that enamoured of the idea of Michel Platini being voted no, captain public of this vote, team. Murph. Public vote. I th- yeah, well, I think maybe people just aren't old enough to remember Euro '84. Is is the uh, is the main thing? I mean, I'm not even old enough to remember Euro '84, but I have watched the tape of it, and nobody's ever done anything like it before or since. So uh, he gets in there, and he's he's going to play off the front man. He's not playing behind two front men because I'm not going to do a Roy Hodgson on it and pretend that they can all work together, which when they obviously can't. It's just going to be Platini and Van Basten. Xavi and Nesri will keep the ball. Rude Hullet will get in the boxing support. Laudrup throwing a bit of dribbly skills. Got all the French guys at the back keeping it tight. Frank Reichardt, Peter Schmeichel. I think um, it's a hell of a lot better than the uh, you know monstrosity selected by UEFA.com. If you have as much time in your hands as Ken does to put so much thought into your Euros <laughs> team, all-time 11, please do email us. Secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Uh, Big thanks to everybody who's texted in and emailed in and tweeted indeed about the Muhammad Ali show that we did earlier on the week featuring Jerry Eisenberg and Reverend Jesse Jackson, Andy Lee, amongst others. You can still listen to that at any stage. And you have a lot of listening to do over the next few weeks because we're going to be doing Monday to Friday daily football podcasts starting tomorrow to look ahead to the opening weekend. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, uh, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening and we're looking forward to it. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.